This calls for wisdom. Let anyone with understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. That has got to be one of the most infamous passages in the Bible. The amount of effort that people have put into interpreting that number, the amount of fear and anguish that have been piled around it throughout the years is amazing. What does it mean? People have tried to make mathematical explanations of it. Numerous conspiracy theories have been launched around it as people have tried to explain it in terms of modern credit cards, identification systems, and a pretty big one these days, vaccination. But if you know me, I always like to take a narrative approach. I like to look for the story behind something. And do you know what? There is almost certainly a big story behind this passage. It's not really a Bible story. It's just a story that the Bible refers to. But that is close enough for me because this is retelling the Bible. Episode 5.1 Quirinius Anonymous and the Storm His name was Quirinius, but that was all that he would tell people. He would not tell anyone his family name or the name of his father. He would not say where he had come from or how he had ended up on the island of Patmos. And so people mocked him and called him Quirinius Anonymous. But he and his followers soon turned the tables on the mockers and proudly claimed the name, which they then proceeded to shorten to a nickname, QAnon. But QAnon was not mocked merely because of his name. His message was also blatantly ridiculous. You see, it all had to do with Nero, the former emperor. Nero had ruled the empire for almost 15 years. He'd been a populist ruler, too. Famous for his feasts, his parties, and especially his games. The people loved him. The common people, that is. The elites had a different opinion. They despised him for his excesses and his failures. 
But as beloved as he was by the people, Nero's enemies got him in the end. There was an uprising, and Nero fled the city. And while he was conveniently gone, his enemies put him on trial, what Nero called a rigged trial. He lost, of course, and when he got the news, the emperor killed himself. Or at least that's what they say, but that is not what QAnon said. He stood up every day in the main square of Patmos and declared that people should not believe that story, that it was all fake news. Even though that had all happened about 30 years before and nobody had seen the emperor since, QAnon declared that Nero was still alive. He had merely faked his death. He had only been wounded but had escaped, and for the last 30 years he had been hiding out in the Far East. He had recovered from his wounds in Parthia, but soon, very soon, he would return at the head of a massive army, and all true believers in Nero would be rewarded, and all of his enemies would be destroyed. It was indeed quite ridiculous, and there was absolutely no evidence to support any of it. And so, when Q first began to preach it, he was laughed off the podium again and again. But he persisted. He continued to spew his crazy conspiracy theories day after day, and eventually, something amazing happened. People started to listen, and some people started to believe. The crazy thing is that they believed even when he started making very specific predictions that completely failed. He said, for example, that what he called the storm was going to happen at a specific day and time and that representatives of the emperor would appear and there would be announcements made in every city throughout the entire empire and that the army would be mobilized everywhere. But the day of the storm came and went and absolutely nothing happened. It was a complete and utter flop. But at that point, it no longer mattered for QAnon's disciples. They began to study the things that he said, go through it all with a fine-tooth comb, looking for what they called the crumbs that they believed would lead them to the truths that went beyond the prophecies that had failed to materialize. 
as time went by, and as the prophecies of Q became more and more ridiculous, more and more refuted by actual evidence, his followers did not become discouraged. Despite what you might expect, they became more convinced that they were right. They also became more militant and more prone to violence. They would threaten anyone who suggested that they might be wrong. Some of them even came up with a plot to kidnap a local governor that failed spectacularly. They began to see their refusal to acknowledge reality as a kind of badge of honor. Some of them would actually print the name of Nero on these brightly colored hats that they had so that they could wear the name proudly on their foreheads. As time went by, the group only seemed to grow and to become ever more fanatically devoted to this idea that any sensible person could see only as foolishness. It got to the point that it caused major unrest in key cities throughout the empire and even on the quiet backwater island of Patmos. The rantings of Q might be crazy and unfounded, but it soon became clear that they were anything but harmless. There was one particular community in Patmos that found these followers of Q to be particularly disturbing. They were members of a small Jewish sect, the followers of a man named Jesus, who had been crucified by the Romans decades before. In the time since, his followers had spread far and wide throughout the empire though mostly in small groups, found in the larger cities. But recent years had been difficult for the members of this sect. They had been largely tolerated in many places for quite some time, but there had been significant exceptions. One of the big exceptions had been in the time of Nero, when the emperor had decided to target them in Rome. But now the present emperor, Domitian, had taken a particular disliking to them, and persecutions had broken out in many places. As a result, some of them had taken shelter here, in Patmos, in this quiet corner of the Aegean Sea, hoping to escape attention. So these people, called Christians by some, had many reasons to be concerned by the spread of this strange QAnon conspiracy theory. They had never, of course, had much love for Emperor Nero. But it wasn't just the thought of his return that frightened them. Honestly, he could hardly be worse than Domitian. No, 
there was something much more sinister in the whole situation, as far as they were concerned. One of the key leaders among the followers of Jesus in Patmos was an elder named John. He was a bit of an odd duck. He seemed to be constantly receiving visions and having odd dreams, and his people greatly respected him because of it. They eagerly awaited his every announcement. Recently, he had been writing down his visions in a book that he hoped would guide his people through the very dangerous times in which they were living. And, yes, John was very much concerned with the dangerous movement that he saw growing around this QAnon conspiracy theory. He saw the implicit threat that was there in such dangerous ideas, threat not only to his fellow Christians, but also to the very fabric of society. This kind of stuff was extremely volatile and dangerous. In the midst of recounting his visions, therefore, he did indeed make a point of warning against this very problem. But, you see, John had a certain literary style, a style that sprang from his strong tendency to rely upon dreams and visions. He just had to find obscure ways of saying things. He could have simply warned people to beware of anything to do with... He stopped to count on his fingers. Julius Caesar, that's one, and then Augustus, Tiberius, uh, Caligula, Claudius, and then Nero. Yes, Nero was the sixth Caesar. John could have warned the people about the sixth man to rule over Rome from that family, but that was a little bit too obvious for his style. So he took up his pen and wrote this. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Ah, that's good, he said to himself. Everybody knows that the city of Rome is built on seven hills. No one will miss that reference. Know also they are seven kings of whom five have fallen, one is living, and the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must remain only a little while. There, he smirked to himself, everyone will immediately understand that I'm talking about the sixth Caesar. Who could possibly miss that as a reference to Nero? especially with all this talk going on about him. But then, as he thought about it, John began to think that he needed to make it 
a little bit more obvious. In particular, he needed to make reference to this crazy conspiracy theory about Nero not really being dead and how he was supposed to come back. He had to warn people about the crazy hysteria that came around such wild beliefs. And so, in his text, he made it pretty clear at another point. One of his heads seemed to have received a death blow, but its mortal wound had been healed. In amazement, the whole earth followed the beast. They worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? Yes, yes, John said to himself, if that doesn't capture what these people who worship QAnon are like, then I don't know what will. That night, as he slept, John had a dream. And he was the sort of person who really paid attention to his dreams. It was a dream about the QAnon fanboys, who were going around wearing the name of Nero on their foreheads. He had this vision of armies upon armies of them. He imagined them demanding that everyone be like them and bear the name of Nero. This all began to be mixed up with some of the policies of Emperor Domitian in his dream. For one of the reasons why John had fled to Patmos had had to do with the prohibitions against anyone buying or selling or participating in public life if they did not carry with them proof that they had made a sacrifice to the emperor. In his dream, John saw a world in which everyone was required, in much the same way, to sing the praises of Nero and to bear his name upon their foreheads, like these crazy followers of Q. He awoke in a cold sweat and immediately went to his desk, lit his lamp, and began to write out this terrible vision. It deceives the inhabitants of Earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that had been wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could even speak and cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Also, it causes all both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell who does not have the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Yes, he said to himself, hmm, but I don't dare write that cursed name in this divine book. I shall put the number instead. He quickly picked up a scrap of parchment and wrote down the name of Nero in Greek. Underneath, 
he wrote the same name using Hebrew characters. He knew, everybody knew, that the Hebrew letters could also be used to indicate numbers, each one having a particular value. He quickly added up all of the numbers together and smiled grimly at the result. Yes, somehow that seemed to be a very fitting number. He turned back to the scroll of his book and wrote, This calls for wisdom. Let anyone with understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. John eventually finished his book, a book that in later years came to be called the Apocalypse or Revelation. And though John had clearly written for the Christians in his own community and in the nearby churches of Asia Minor, churches that he addressed directly, warning of the things that those churches were actually dealing with, there was something in the way that John wrote, something truly powerful in his symbolism and metaphor that made the words that he wrote remain ever relevant, ever able to be applied to new circumstances that arose. And so it is that the ancient words of John may have a few things to warn us about even today many centuries later. Just to be quite clear about what is historical and what is not historical in this episode, there was, of course, no Quirinius Anonymous. But the wild conspiracy theory that I depict him spinning in this episode was indeed very real. Towards the end of the first century, there were many people who believed that Nero was not really dead, that he was hiding out in the East and that he would soon return and carry out a reckoning upon those who did not believe in him. This is referred to as the Nero Redivivus legend by some ancient authors. Most scholars would date the book of Revelation also to that period of time, the late first century. During the time of Emperor Domitian, who made things very difficult for the church. What's more, the author of the book of Revelation appears to be quite aware of the Nero de Vivis conspiracy theory and does make references to it in his book. The number of the beast is almost certainly a reference to the name of Nero. The beast that had been wounded by the sword 
and yet lived, is an explicit reference to the conspiracy theory. Now, the big question is, what does John mean when he makes these references? One possible interpretation that I had long accepted is that John actually thinks that the conspiracy theory is real and that he, like the fans of the theory, actually expects Nero to return soon. Only he sees that as a very bad thing, and he's warning his readers about that. But recent events have suggested to me that perhaps there is something else going on in these texts. Over recent months and years, we have seen many conspiracy theories become very powerful ideas in our society. And, in their power, they have also become very dangerous. The QAnon conspiracy theory has inspired acts of violence, as having conspiracy theories about election fraud. Anti-vaccination conspiracy theories have led to the spread of preventable disease and to death. We seem to be living in a time when conspiracy theories, at least some of them, are no longer an amusing diversion, but have become a dire threat. And so perhaps we, more than people who have lived in previous ages, can understand what it was like as the Nero Redivivus idea spread. It made me wonder whether John included references to it in his book, not because he feared that it might be true, but because he knew that it was false, and yet realized that that made it, in some ways, even more dangerous. I was inspired to write this episode when I saw some Christian folk in online communities worrying about whether or not they ought to receive the COVID-19 vaccine because they were afraid that it might be the mark of the beast. I realize, of course, that there is a long history of people of faith interpreting the latest innovation in society as the fulfillment of the prophecy of the beast in the book of Revelation. I will admit that in the past I, too, sometimes wondered about such ideas. Having studied the book of Revelation a bit, I find it ironic that it is possible that when John mentions and warns about the number of the beast, what he may have been warning about was exactly the kind of conspiracy theory that may make some people today act against their own self-interest by refusing to receive a vaccine because they fear it might be the mark of the beast. John may have written the book of Revelation for the people of his own time, but it certainly does remain a very relevant book for me today. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Please subscribe so you can get the next episode in a couple of weeks. A five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or some other podcasting platform is a great way to help other people find this podcast. The theme music for the podcast is Ada. It is by Kevin McLeod. 
licensed under the Creative Commons, and can be found at incompetech.com. The mood music for this episode is Star Child by Mercy Rock. See the links on the show notes page for more information on this up-and-coming composer. You can contact me on Twitter at Retelling Bible, on the Facebook page Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless. <laughs>